Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti. Hope you guys are doing well. I know I certainly am because yesterday I got this DM from one of you guys showing that my last episode on superstitions was trending on Spotify. What the heck? I could not believe my eyes. Sure enough, I went on Spotify myself and I saw that my episode was trending. It was like on the homepage, which was really cool. I've never seen anything like that. And honestly, when I put episodes out, I just kind of like throw them out there, like hoping it gets to the right ears and like you guys tune in. I don't really know what happens to it once I post it. Like podcasting is so different from YouTube and really every other social media platform I'm on. So it's really great to see that, you know, people are listening, people like it. So I always have my Instagram linked in the show notes of my episodes because I genuinely love when you guys let me know what you think of the episodes. So it doesn't feel like I'm just talking to myself, you know? So anyway, definitely let me know what you guys think of the episodes. If you like what you're hearing, I also do love that positive reinforcement as well. But yeah, just wanted to say a quick thank you to you guys for tuning in. It really means the world to me because obviously I do this because I love it, but I love it even more knowing that it's getting to the right people, you know? So I guess with that, let's get into today's episode, which honestly, I'm shocked. I've never done an episode like this before or covered this specific topic, because I feel like especially women, I'm not limiting it to just women, but especially us girls out there, we have dealt with this struggle probably for the better parts of our lives. Like for a long time, it's been one of those things we just kind of normalized, you know? And the struggle that I'm referring to is hating the photos people take of us. Seeing the group shot from a girl's weekend, from a bachelorette, just from like a weekend on the town and, you know, everyone sends the group shots in the group chat and you look at it and you're like, wow, everyone looks so great. And then there's me thinking to yourself, oh my God, wait, I can't possibly 
look like that, right? Like, do I need to lose weight? Do I need to wear more makeup? Is this why I'm single? Like you totally leap, you leap to conclusions because you don't like how you look in a photo. Like one single photo can set you over the edge, make you feel so insecure, make you want to stay in if you're getting ready to go out and you catch yourself at the wrong angle and you're like, oh no, I I cannot even like muster up a shred of confidence if this is what I look like, you know? And you just feel so deflated, defeated, all of those things. Like I'm sure a lot of us have been there, if not everybody that's listening has been there or at least has had a friend. Like I have so many beautiful friends that I've taken photos of only to, you know, give them the phone after I take the photo and then be like, oh my God, ew, delete them all immediately. And then hands the phone back to me. And it's like, can you get a different angle? You know, like we've all been there. We've all been there. So in today's episode of Thick and Thin, I want to debunk why people feel this way, why people see photos of themselves and think the worst, like hate them. Why do we hate photos that other people take of us? Like why are selfies so much more flattering sometimes than the group shot? Like, why is that? So today we're going to get to the bottom of the why. All right, let's back things up. Let's break things down. It's really all an interesting concept if you think about it. Just the fact, like the the concept of taking photos of ourselves for social media. Like our Instagram pages are becoming personal shrines to ourselves in a lot of cases. Like you can scroll back and just see like every moment. It's like you in every single photo doing various things, eating various things with various people. It's literally a shrine to ourselves. Why are we so obsessed? A lot of us that have Instagram accounts, why are we so obsessed with documenting our days, our travels, our lives? Why are we so obsessed? For the memories, of course, so we can look back when we're old and crusty and have kids everywhere and our lives are less exciting maybe. And you can, we could see like this radiant, youthful, fun version of ourselves. But I think it also has a lot to do with alerting the masses, broadcasting loud and proud to our followers, letting them know that we're cool and fun and flirty and you know throw a thirst trap in there when we feel like we're not getting enough attention. Like it's really all about getting the attention. It's about showing people what you want them to see, like what you want them to think about when they see you, when they see your name, like this is what you want them to associate. You know, it's all kind of propaganda really. And this isn't a new concept at all. For centuries, portraits of the monarchy have formed public opinion. A king and a queen would sit for hours upon hours to have their portraits painted, even if they were aging and hid themselves away from the public since, you know, old age essentially equaled inability to rule and weakened their public image and authority, et cetera. So they'd hide themselves away and just kind of release these public portraits of themselves every once in a while. So their subjects thought them to be immortal, perfectly able to rule and powerful. And a prime example that I can think of, of this portrait propaganda is Queen Elizabeth I. 
So she essentially catfished her subjects into thinking she was this radiant, immortal being, even well into her 60s. Literally up until her death, she kept putting out portraits of her looking like a newborn baby, basically like, okay, not like a baby baby, but like smooth skin, no wrinkles, looking powerful, looking well-dressed, hair on fleek. You know, there's this one painting of Queen Elizabeth I in particular called the Rainbow Portrait, which I'll have linked in the show notes if you guys want to look at it. So it really showcases this concept of like catfishing through portrait propaganda. It's vibrant in color. It shows Elizabeth decked out in jewels in this elaborate gown with this super confident look on her face. Again, no wrinkles in sight. And it was painted around 1600. So when Elizabeth was 67 years old, but the painting doesn't show a 67 year old woman. It shows a woman who doesn't look a day over 30. And there is no doubt that at this time, like she would have wrinkles age spots, the weights of her rule just showing through her face and in her posture. And yet she doesn't look a day over 30. (laughs) Elizabeth was a master of propaganda. It became increasingly important for her to show off this vibrant eternal monarch, especially because her health was failing. And in this portrait, she's elaborately dressed. She's standing in front of this dark archway with columns And actually, she ended up passing away in 1603. So just three years-ish after this painting was finished, she passed away. In a way, we put our own propaganda on our Instagram feeds today. We want to send a certain message, and that's kind of why we do it. So let's talk about these images we get our friends to take of us, specifically the ones that don't make the feed, the ones we hate. So what better way to kick off the why surrounding why we hate photos of ourselves than with personal experience? So the past four-ish days, I guess like nearly five, the past five days have been an absolute whirlwind. I've done two major things in the past five days. Number one, I orchestrated this epic birthday soiree for my two best friends over the weekend. So that was on Saturday. We did this whole thing like hair, makeup, limo. You know, I threw a pregame. We went to this like awesome bar in the city called Chloe 81. Really fun place to throw birthday parties if you guys are in the city. Highly recommend. We rented out the basement and it was so cute. So we orchestrated this epic soiree on Saturday and it was kind of Friday and Saturday. And then as soon as that was over, I like had Sunday to prepare myself for the next thing, which was Monday and Tuesday. I went out to Montauk with a brand with Cynthia Rowley, a clothing brand. They so kindly invited me out there for this influencer trip situation. So in the past five days, there's been a lot of photos. I have taken so many photos in the past week of other people and had a bunch taken of me as well. But in doing this, I realized like it was so crystal clear to me after the past five days, how critical the most beautiful girls are of themselves. Like I look at these people, my friends and influencers, I just met alike, both of them, both groups. And I see A, people that I love that I've known for a while, and B, people that are literally paid to post photos of themselves. You know, essentially influencers, like we are paid to post content of ourselves doing things, enjoying things, being places, like that is part of our job. So all of these people, like it doesn't matter who you are, 
everyone is stressed out of their minds. Well, okay, not everyone. I don't want to like generalize, but a lot of people are very stressed about how they look in photos. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you get paid to post it or not. Everyone is looking at these photos and thinking to themselves, oh my God, there's no way I actually look like that. Like feeling total utter panic over photos taken of themselves. And I witnessed that so many times in the past week. And don't get me wrong, the whole weekend and into the week, like both things I was a part of were so fun and I had the best time. But I'm also, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. I saw some photos of myself after both of these events and I cringed as well at some of them. I was like, those need to be deleted immediately and no one ever needs to know that these exist. And I just kept thinking to myself, why, why are we like this? Guys, I got to the bottom of it. I truly did. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. So the reason why no one in your friend group can agree on a group photo to post because at least one person hates each photo It's unsurprisingly because of something deeply lodged inside of our brains. The brain is to blame. The brain is like always to blame. In every episode where I have an issue or a problem I'm debunking, it's always the brain. Like our greatest helper and advocate, but also our greatest enemy. So put simply, way back in the day, okay, like way, 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 way back there when humans were still evolving And threats in nature were extremely plentiful. Because if you think about it, so back in the day before we were super evolved, the creatures we shared the earth with weren't that far off from us in terms of intelligence, in terms of brain function. Obviously, now we're at the top of the intelligence ladder, apart from potentially, you know, extraterrestrial beings that walk among us and pretend to be human. I don't know. Like, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, but we haven't always been the most sharp. We haven't always been the sharpest tool in the shed. We share a common ancestor, ape ancestor with chimpanzees, you know? So these early humans who were born with better, quicker thinking brains survived. Not all humans were born with these quick brains. And so those ones were weeded out. 
those who had the slower brains and couldn't outsmart danger, they didn't make it. Simple as that. So essentially, individuals with better brains ended up mating and left behind more descendants. And so as things kept rolling right along, all the mating was happening, the population was increasing, the big-brained people or not people at that point, they were homo erectus and then into a bunch of other things. But, you know, they kept evolving and the genetic mutations resulted in bigger and more complex brains with better reasoning, better memory, and they spread in the population very quickly. They really sped things up for us humans in the evolution department and ultimately got us to where we are today. I mean, seriously, our brains are powerful. For example, when we're awake, the brain generates about 12 to 25 watts of literal electricity, which is enough to power a small light bulb. Electricity, okay? (laughs) So the brain also works really fast. The information that's going from your arms and your legs to your brain apparently travels at a speed of about 150 to 260 miles per hour. So things are really pumping up in there. Okay, let me pose a question and I promise this question will eventually lead us to why we hate photos of ourselves. I promise we're getting there. Just a few more hurdles. You know how I do this. We take things back in time and then we get to the present. So the question is, when we're in danger or when we at least think we're in danger, do our brains speed up even faster than the 150 to 260 miles per hour? I just said that you know the information travels. Like, Do our brains speed up because we think we're in danger? So researchers at Baylor and the University of Texas asked themselves the same question back in 2007. The researchers enlisted volunteers who, get this, were willing to strap themselves into a harness, get hoisted up 150 feet into the air, and then dropped untethered until they sink into a modified circus net. They literally got people to volunteer to do this, like willingly did this. So it's essentially a free fall that lasts about three seconds, two and a half to three seconds in total. And this is called the suspended catch air device at the Zero Gravity Amusement Park over in Dallas. In other words, my absolute worst nightmare ever. You could not even pay me a million dollars to do this. Anyway, so they got volunteers to do it as part of their study for science and all that. They wanted to see if the volunteers' perception sped up when they were falling. So they thought they were in danger. Did their brain, like what's going on inside of there, all the processes, did they speed up because they thought they were in danger? Did the adrenaline and potential danger cause, specifically cause the brain to speed up? So to test brain speed during potential danger situations, the scientists created a device that was attached to each volunteer's wrist, and they called it a perceptual chronometer. I can't even say that. Perceptual chronometer. <laughs> perceptual chronometer. 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 I cannot say that word. I'm keeping all of that in there, by the way, because that was hilarious. I sometimes just like cannot say certain words. Anyway, a perceptual chronometer. So the LED display on the device shows a pair of numbers. And if the numbers are set to change more quickly than a person's mind can read the numbers, he or she will only see a blur. They won't see the numbers if it's set to change quickly. You know when something like changes really quickly and you just like cannot you know, discern what it says because it's just going too fast? So that was kind of what they said it to. So the scientists showed the volunteers 
these quickly changing numbers on the wrist device when they were calm. They were just chilling. They weren't being dropped from 150 feet above the ground. And they were told to look at the device and the volunteers, all of them, they just saw a blur because the numbers were just changing too quickly. So when they got into the harness and they were dropped, the numbers flickered on the device at the same exact speed as they did before when they were calm. So the speed did not change on the the clicking or the flipping of the numbers at all. The only thing that changed was the fact that the people were now in danger, you know? So if in fact people's brains speed up or the perception, their ability to read things, to act quickly in terms of reading something quickly, like if that were the case because they were in danger, it was not proven by this study because no one was able to read the numbers yet again. Like some of them were even too scared to open their eyes to even look at the thing. But the ones that were just saw a blur yet again. So it was not proven to be true that your perception necessarily speeds up because you're in danger. Something else though does get a bit more keen when you're in danger. According to this New York Magazine article that I'm gonna have linked, it's a very great article on all of this, our brains don't speed up when we're in danger. Instead, the rush of fear hormones causes the brain to retain richer memories of what's happening. This is related to the flashbulb effect that enables us to remember every color, sound, and smell of an emotionally powerful event. Like when someone's wife walks down the aisle and they say they'll remember it forever, the birth of a child, a really brutal breakup, a car accident. So if you survive a life or death encounter, something that involves danger, it could prove useful actually to someday, you know, remember how you did it. How did you survive? Like it's for, it's important to us. Like that is why the body retains or the brain rather retains this information because it could be good research and learnings for the next time you are potentially in danger, which we kind of learned these skills from the early humans who needed to remember what danger looks like and what to do to survive when you are in said danger. So obviously, you know, retaining these nitty gritty details of events that are most powerful and hard hitting is important for our survival or has been in the past. So we still do that today. It's obvious that our brains have evolved with the purpose of keeping us alive, processing information in ways that can help us learn from our mistakes and work smarter rather than harder in the future. So how have our brains done it? How have they streamlined the process of jumping to a solution from a problem, et cetera? Honestly, they've done it in a way that we really do a lot of things when we want to get to a certain position or place quicker because we've done it before in the past. You know, we use shortcuts on the computer. We're trying to get somewhere quicker that we know we can like cut through the park or something and get there quicker. Shortcuts. Okay. And there's this quote that says, there are no shortcuts to a place worth going. I've heard this like growing up. It's been one of those quotes that's kind of followed me my whole life. So shortcuts, as we know, are not always effective, but our brain uses them. Our brains don't necessarily move faster. They just skip the steps that don't feel necessary. And sometimes the way our brain creates shortcuts for us are based heavily on memory and how things have worked out or not worked out for us in the past. These things aren't always accurate. They sometimes confuse us in the process of encouraging us to take these shortcuts because 
you know, not everything in the future is going to pan out exactly how it did in the past. You know, just because it went one way for us one time doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. You know, sometimes it works. You know, our brains shortcuts actually come in clutch because if we, for example, if we know that we don't like a certain kind of food, our brain, specifically the areas in the brain responsible for memory, pleasure, and reward create this random middle of the day craving for anything but that food that it already knows we hate. Like it knows we hate this food. So it's not going to bring it up to us to crave it. Like it's not even going to waste our time daydreaming about this food we know we don't like. So it does create these sorts of shortcuts and many other different, that's like the first example that pops into my head, but it's not always spot on by relying solely on memories to process information The brain tends to view the future of our little corner of the world based on this bootleg version of the past, like I said, and it's not super accurate. It jumps to conclusions based on the traumas we've experienced, the loves we've experienced, all these things being super vivid in our minds due to the flashbulb effect, what I was saying earlier. Like when you're in this moment of stress or danger, you retain the details because essentially it'll help you later on, right? So these emotionally powerful events, it digs up all this information to come up with predictions of how the future could potentially pan out. So this means our brains can end up being pretty prejudiced, pretty stubborn, opinionated, have a lot of bias. In other words, we think we know things we don't actually know the full extent of because of this rich memory and quick jumping to conclusions based on shortcuts. And it's hard to convince us otherwise. Allow me to introduce you to one of the biggest reasons we hate seeing photos of ourselves. I told you I'd get there and why our friends hate photos of themselves and beg us not to post them, even though we think we look good (laughs) because everyone's been there. So it's this thing called mirror exposure effect, and it's a psychological phenomenon. Based on mirror exposure, people tend to develop a preference for things merely because they are familiar with them. Keyword, mirror. (laughs) I haven't really used that word in a long time, meaning the only reason a person gravitates towards this specific face or faces or person is because they're familiar with them. And psychologist Robert Janonk coined this term in the 60s. It's sometimes called the familiarity principle, keyword familiar. How many times a day do you look at yourself in the mirror, really, while you're brushing your teeth, doing your hair, trying on a new pair of Lulu leggings, taking mirror pics with your friends, it adds up. Like you tend to look at yourself a lot of times per day. It kind of just ends up being one of those second nature things like, oh, I put on a pair of pants or something. I put on any clothes. I look myself in the mirror before I leave the house, you know? And then we see a photo of ourselves. It could just be one photo. We look at ourselves in the mirror all day long, but we see one photo of ourselves And we freak out because it's taken from a different angle than our mirror that's hung at a certain, you know, degree or high up on a wall and the photo is taken from down low. You know, it's just a different angle, not to mention flipped a lot of times because many phone cameras flip images and we totally panic because it's not the image that is familiar to us. It's not the image we're used to seeing in our mirror. It's also from another person's perspective of what they think looks good. I feel like this is the reason why we don't hate selfies as much, the ones we take with our own two hands, as much as we hate the photos other people take of us because we're in control. 
Not to mention a lot of phone cameras when they're on selfie mode shoot the same way that mirrors do with, you know, the text backwards and all. We're creatures of habit. When we stand in front of a mirror and we check out our angles, we take our selfies in the mirror, we tend to look at ourselves the same way each time. We know our angles. We know what we're looking for. We're also like a certain height. Like we're like I'm 5'5". Five five. I maybe can grow a few inches with a pair of heels on, but like I am going to be at this vantage point for like the rest of my life until I start shrinking, right? So this is like as high up as I can get. And I can only turn my head around so far. Like our eyeballs are inside of our heads. They can't really be like popped out for a second to check things out from further away. So it's like you kind of are limited with what you can see with your own two eyes. So because of the familiarity of what we see when we're checking out all of these familiar angles that we can use, when we eventually see ourselves from a different angle, different perspective, in the way that other people see us, it can cause us to totally freak out because we feel like we've been misled by ourselves. I've been seeing this TikTok trend on my For You page where it's like a girl taking a video of themselves from like far away, from different angles, because they're attempting to see what other people see when they walk into a bar. Because honestly, I've been personally alarmed by my side profile numerous times, like shocked that that's what I look like from the side. Like... <laughs> Anyway, so back to what I was saying earlier about our brains predicting the future based on past events, biases they hold, etc. When our brain's prediction is wrong, what happens then? If we know, we just know to our core that we look good in a certain outfit based on the knowledge of just how many times we've looked at ourselves wearing this outfit in the mirror and we felt good in it, or even if we've worn it out before and got great photos in it, or someone complimented us on the street. And so we're like, this is my, like, I like this outfit. I look good in this outfit. I'm confident that I look good in this outfit. And then we see a bad photo in that outfit we thought was going to be such a hit. <laughs> we don't get the results that our brains predicted. Our faces look funny or our bodies don't look like we thought they would. And we get this like internal panic that ensues. Our brain expects one thing based on past events. And when something totally unexpected and unsavory happens, instead, it doesn't know what to do. The truth is you aren't actually that familiar though with your own likeness with your own face. You've always seen a reversal of it in the mirror. And in those moments of panic, when our brain is confused as to why we look a certain way, when we don't remember ourselves looking that way, and there was like this whole panic moment happening, you know, when this is going on in our brain, our brain also doesn't consider all of those things in between putting on the outfit and then looking at a photo taken of you in the outfit. Like the fact that the person taking the photo is biased as well. That's a huge factor here. Like the person taking the picture of you is biased as well. They know the angles that they're used to and the ones that are familiar to them, the ones that they like. Like if a really tall friend of mine takes my photo, they're used to seeing me from their tall vantage point. So, you know, up a little bit higher and they assume that because they like seeing you from this angle that you'll like seeing you from this angle as well, you know? Without considering that what is familiar to them might not be familiar to you. Well, it probably isn't. And that's why you panic because the person taking the photo is just as biased as you are. In other words, you are familiar to them, right? If it's a friend taking a photo, not like a random person, you are super familiar to them. They know how they see you. And in the photo they take of you, you look 
exactly as they see you, right? So they don't see anything wrong. But when you look at the photo, you see something completely different because it's not how you've ever been able to view yourself at home because you're looking in a mirror and the image is flipped and the angle is higher or lower or too much to the left or whatever from what you can see when you're turning your head around and looking at yourself in the mirror, right? So a little tip that I've learned when text isn't involved because text throws everything off with the flipping and whatever, but flip the photo. Use the iPhone or Android setting to flip the image horizontally. And I'm telling you, this might lead you to liking the photo a lot more. Like it could totally take a really bad photo and make it good because now you look the same as you do when you look yourself in the mirror, right? So, okay. Another concept. Let's remember the flashbulb effect one more time or what I was talking about earlier. So we remember every color, sound, smell, et cetera, of an emotionally powerful event. So consider this meshed with what I just said a few moments ago about our brains anticipating certain results, kind of making predictions based on past events. So these kind of mesh together in a little sandwich. Back when we were young, If you ever looked at yourself in the mirror before middle school in your cute little trendy outfit, limited to probably that your mom bought you or with that new unique hairstyle that you thought looked so cool or like looked really cool on Lizzie McGuire. So it obviously must look good on you too. Like because Lizzie did it, like you can do it too, you know, only to get to school thinking you're so cool. You look so great. You're so excited about your look only to get to school and have one emotionally insecure person rip you apart, like tease you for the way that you look. That can be super traumatizing for a young, impressionable person. And I feel like it happened so often to a lot of people when they were younger because people just like weren't mature enough to be able to handle someone that was like thinking outside of the box, you know? So it could be considered one of those emotionally powerful events that trigger a memory to become ingrained so deeply in your brain. And this could cause you to get super nervous about taking any sort of risk in life, like fashion, beauty, just a photo of you where you think you look good. Like if you thought you looked good before before school and then someone made fun of you and now you're worried that you're ugly forever, you know? It sucks that these bullies and just one thing that someone says can stick with you forever. Like you could be given a million compliments, like showered in compliments, And then you get one piece of negative feedback and that's all you think about for the rest of your life. It's a trauma response to act in a way where you're constantly affected by this one thing that happened to you that was traumatic back in the day. Like, and it keeps being dredged up. Like that is a trauma response. So I have a specific memory of back in, I guess it was high school. I wore this free people. First of all, free people was expensive, still is, but especially to a high schooler, like I had to really scrounge up, scrounge a word. I'd really muster up like a bunch of cash from babysitting. Like it really took a lot to get one piece from free people. I mean, okay, I'm going to say again, it still is expensive, but like, especially for a high schooler, okay. With a minimum wage job that paid $6 an hour or like seven bucks an hour. Cause that was minimum wage in Maryland at the time. But So I bought this free people duster, like a duster sweater, AKA like one that goes to the floor and is like kind of like one of those cascading cardigans. And I wore it with this dress that I thrifted. Like I was so excited about this outfit, like so excited. And I got to class and I sat down and the kid that sat behind me, I remember his name. His name is Ian. I'm not going to say his last name, so I'm not going to air him out on here. But I remember so distinctly, he told me, he's like, what are you wearing? Is it a cape? 
I will never forget. He called my duster sweater a cape and everyone in class thought it was so funny and laughed at me for it. And I had posted an Instagram in this outfit. Like I did this thing in high school where I posted a photo like nearly every day of my outfit. This kind of like jumpstarted my career on Instagram. It's like so funny where it started, but I had posted an outfit photo of this and a bunch of people commented like, is that a cape? Like after he had said this in class and got so much praise for it. Everyone was like, oh, let's let's like a, you know, bandwagon jump onto this concept and make Katie feel even worse. And to this day, I will never forget. Like I wear anything that like remotely resembles a duster cardigan and I I think about it. I think about it all the time whenever I take a fashion risk. So, you know, this might be why taking certain risks can be overwhelming for me sometimes like in the fashion department especially when i see photos of myself from or for myself from other people's perspectives and also you know this hatred of seeing us in photos could stem from something that someone told us one time or a trauma response kind of you know so i want to just throw that out there as a potential reason but the next reason we hate photos that are taken of us is also something that's nestled deep inside of our heads. I've talked about this on the podcast before, but it's also super applicable here. So it's called confirmation bias. And confirmation bias is a type of cognitive bias, which basically means information storing bias that involves favoring information that confirms your previously held beliefs and biases. So it's essentially our tendency to find things that back up what we already believe to be true. Like we have this belief and we need to find every shred of evidence that exists to support this belief because we can't be wrong. Even if our beliefs are totally false. And it was first described by Peter Wason in 1960. Like there could be 75 super legit articles on the internet to back up the belief that challenges Hours and we'll still find that one article that supports what we think to be true. And we'll send it to all of our friends and be like, ha, see, I'm right. Like, even though all signs point to you're wrong, you'll still find a way to prove yourself right. And it takes a lot of maturity to admit when you're wrong for this reason, because we have this bias. We want to be right. Like, no one wants to be wrong. And I feel like confirmation bias use was at an all-time high when the coronavirus pandemic first surfaced and there was so much like fake news flying around and countless different he said, she said opinions floating. Like I feel like confirmation bias was such a huge driving force of all of the internet fights that happened because people were like, I'm right. No, I'm right. You know? So confirmation bias can lead us to hating our photos. And this example is kind of bleak, but I feel like a lot of us, myself included, has been there. If we believe that we are the ugly friend in the group. Every photo we see of ourselves, our brain will search for information to back up this belief that we are the ugly duckling, the ugly friend in the group. Like we'll look at the photo and be like, ah, look at me. I'm so short compared to my beautiful, tall model friend with amazing legs. Or look how my dark frizzy hair doesn't fall like my friend with the naturally gorgeous golden locks. Like we spiral. And the same thing happens when We look at photos of ourselves, even a solo photo of ourselves, and we're having a day where we're like, I am so awkward. I don't feel pretty. And our brains use these things, the concept of, oh, I feel awkward. I don't feel pretty. I think I'm the ugly friend. Like it uses this, these beliefs and it just searches, it searches, searches, searches for things to back up these beliefs. And it's it does it in comparison if there's someone in the photo with us. It does this by just pointing out 
everything that looks different in the photo different in terms of like what we're used to seeing in the mirror. And it's like, my face looks so weird. I'm so awkward. I don't know how to, you know, put my arms in the photo or whatever. It like literally searches for the information to back up the belief. And it does it so seamlessly, literally. Building self-confidence is important to combating this. But also I think that I truly think that complimenting and hyping up your friends when you feel like when you see something, you notice something, you're like, oh, my friend looks really great in this top or something or literally a perfect stranger. Like the fact that a lot of us think these things and don't say them out loud is genuinely hurting our society. I think more people need to go out of their comfort zone a little bit and just compliment someone like no one's going to be upset with you (laughs) if you compliment them. Like if they are, then they don't know. They just, okay, whatever. It's not your fault. But what you need to do is tell people how you feel. You know, I can't be the only one that was totally, you know, my day was totally turned around by a compliment from a total stranger. It helps to see you how unbiased people see you. It's even better when it's not from a friend of yours because I feel like your friends sometimes have personal motivations for why they compliment you. Like they want something sometimes or like, okay, maybe they don't, but like that's what I would think, right? Because I'm like crazy like that. But it helps. It really helps to see how unbiased people see you. So people on the street, if you see someone that has an amazing outfit on, you're literally just, you're wasting so much valuable, positive energy you could put out into the world by not saying something, you know? And I also think that honestly, knowing everything I've discussed in this episode so far, just knowing that there's so much psychology behind why we see ourselves in photos and think, oh my God, I look bad in that. Like knowing that a lot of it has to do with scientific fact, things that happen in our brains that we literally cannot control. Knowing this to be true, honestly, you know, knowledge is power. Knowing that confirmation bias is a thing, that if we're having a bad day or we're just convinced we can't take photos or whatever, like we're going to try to back up that stance any way we can. Our brains work overtime to make us hate ourselves, <laughs> like honestly. And we will never truly see ourselves the way that we actually look, unless you have a literal identical twin that everything about them is exactly the same as you, you're never going to know what you look like from all angles. And the thing is like, because we all have different perspectives and there's so many different ways you can take a photo, like there is no way you're ever going to like every single photo that's taken of you because there's no way that from our vantage point of looking at ourselves in the mirror with our own eyeballs, we're ever going to see ourselves from every angle. So it's not going to be familiar to us. And I also just think that sometimes like bad photos, like it just, you know, you could take a bad photo of a sunset. You know how when you take photos of sunsets, it never looks as good as it does in real life. Like I genuinely think that sometimes you're just not going to get a photo that's flattering necessarily because like it's it's hard to take photos of beautiful things and have it look beautiful all the time. You are a freaking sunset. Okay. I've heard this analogy somewhere. I didn't make it up, but you know, it's hard to take photos of, of beautiful things and have it really translate because sometimes photos just aren't going to cut it. Like sometimes you just need to be seen with someone's naked eyes. And that is, that is the way that you're going to truly be seen, you know? And honestly, social media is not helping any of this. Like <laughs> seeing these perfect people on our feeds are perfectly imperfect people with more confidence than we'll ever have. It's a lot to process and attempt to maybe someday get for ourselves. But let me reiterate that out of the photos that actually make it to the gram, there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands 
of outtakes that just get swiftly deleted because, yep, our brains freak out when they perceive something that just doesn't add up. So for every great photo you see, just know there's a lot you don't see, right? I feel like I need to reiterate this. We know this. We know this to be true, but we don't accept it. And if we go back to our friend, Queen Elizabeth I, she was putting out these extremely false images to make people think a certain thing about her and it worked. You know, people are really good at doing the same exact thing today on Instagram. So keep that in mind. It truly is our brains playing tricks on us. So half the battle is just knowing there is a legitimate science-based reason we feel this way. And the rest is just training ourselves to just ease up a bit. Let's not be so hard on ourselves all the time, okay? Let's just not, okay? (laughs) Let's just agree. So that is it, guys, for today's episode of the podcast. Hope this was interesting to some of you. Hopefully you guys will take this to heart and remind yourself of this the next time you take photos that you don't necessarily love yourself in. And also just know whenever the group the group photo, the group shot, whatever, is sent in the group chat, everyone is just looking at themselves. You know, they look straight at them and they're like, oh, my God. And it's really, it's something that everybody does, okay? Like there are rare, rare people in this world that look at a photo and they're like, yep, totally great every single time. Like I feel as though there is a vast majority of people that that don't feel that way with every single photo, right? So that is it. That is my story. That is uh, all she wrote. That's all she wrote. I kept hearing this uh, phrase, that's all she wrote on social media. I don't know where it came from. If someone knows the origin of people saying, and that's all she wrote after people speak, please let me know because Brooke Michio and I were trying to figure it out on our influencer little trip. We were like, where did this come from and why is everyone saying it? So if you guys know, please help a sister out. Okay. Anyway, that is it for today's episode of the pod. Hope you guys enjoyed and I will talk to you guys all next Thursday. Bye. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. 
answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.